the trail taught me how to appreciate simplicity. It taught me I could be content with very little, which feels super empowering. Like it sounds Spartan, but it's really liberating when you know you don't need much to be happy. It taught me a lot about quality relationships with people who are very, very different from me. It taught me the importance of actually carving out time to myself and having like silence or at least natural sounds instead of synthetic noise and interruptions all the time. And then again, yeah, the biggest thing is just seeing myself as a part of nature, sort of redefined how I wanted to live my life, redefine beauty, redefine success, community, all those things. Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross. Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hi, Feisties. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, thank you for being here. I do definitely appreciate you tuning in and listening. I, I don't know if you can hear it, but it is raining in my office right on a uh, skylight that's right above my head. So if you hear a little pitter-patter in the background, that's what's happening. I don't have a soundproofing mechanism for that uh, just yet. Just yet. When we upgrade our office, just you wait. We will have picture perfect sound. Uh, that's I'm partially saying that for Carrie, our amazing editor, <laughs> who's really into the sound quality. And if you think it's good, it's all thanks to her. Okay, so I just reviewed the interview for this week. And I think it's one of my favorites so far. I'm very excited to introduce you all to if you don't know already, Jennifer Far Davis. She's a preeminent long distance hiker, author and speaker. She's the author of nine books. We talked a bit about her writing process. Um, she's also an entrepreneur and owner of Blue Ridge Hiking Company. She's hiked to get this over 14,000 miles on six continents. And her big claim to fame, I think, is comes in came in 2011 when Jennifer Far Davis broke the record for the fastest hike on the Appalachian Trail. So that's both the male and female record. It was totally the overall record. She was the first woman to break that record, and she did it in 46 days, 11 hours, and 20 minutes. She has hiked Kilimanjaro, Pacific Crest Trail, Machu Picchu, and has made several and has like essentially earned several fastest known times along the way. I had a wonderful conversation with Jennifer, which we started by talking about her love of the outdoors and how she understands herself um, as part of nature. But also like we just took a deep dive into 
I want to say almost the meaning of life, like like time management skills, parenting, um, the the drive for success that we both seem to share and kind of the downfalls of that as well. Um, her own entrepreneurship, the ways that she makes decisions. Um, so I, I definitely learned a lot from this high achieving individual. But before we hear from Jennifer, let's take a moment to hear from the folks who make this podcast possible. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They are shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you.
Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Good. How are you, Sarah? I'm good. So good to have you um, on the show today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. Um, okay. I want to like jump in with this question. Who is Jennifer Farr Davis? How would you define yourself? Uh, that's a big question. And I think there's a lot of subtitles in there, but um, when asked who I am, I usually say I'm a part of nature and so are you. Um, and that's really comforting to me. <laughs> And makes me feel beautiful and uh, wild and part of this ecosystem. Um, so yeah, I'm a part of nature. And then beyond that, I'm also a mom and an author and a speaker and an entrepreneur. And there's a lot of things that I do, but who I am is just a part of nature. I love that. Okay. As I was... Um putting together the questions for you earlier, I literally had those categories. Like, wow, she's got all these categories checked off. Like yourself as an athlete, entrepreneur, author. So I definitely want to jump into all of that. But did you always feel like you were part of nature or did that kind of evolve when you started hiking more? No, it was, it was a pretty dramatic realization. Uh, when I hiked the Appalachian trail as a 21 year old, and that was my first big immersion into the outdoors you know, there was a real shift because for me growing up, nature was out the window and it was separate and it was, it was beautiful and it was cool, but it was out there. And until I spent time walking through it and started to think about, okay, biologically, I am a part of all this. Okay. Spiritually, the way I see the world, I am a part of all this. And like, working through all of those different paths in my brain and coming to this conclusion of like, oh, no, i I really am a part of nature. It was um, a shift in how I saw myself and how I felt and how I saw the world. And it felt so good because again, it made me feel, it made me feel really beautiful. It made me feel wild. Like I didn't have to conform to other people's expectations. And then it made me feel responsible too, in the sense that as a part of nature, being in an ecosystem, my choices impact others and um, the way we care for others also affects me. And so, um, yeah, it, it really did redefine how I walk through the world. Wow. And what was, what was the impetus? Like you're a 21 year old, were you involved in sport in some way before that? Or what was, what was it that made you go, Hey, I'm just going to go spend <laughs> days on end on a trail by myself. I think it's like a yes and no answer because, um, it, it was, it did seem super random to people who knew me that I was going to go hike for five months and try to complete the Appalachian trail. And it is a, a pretty, um, common story you hear out there that it's, you know, people graduating from college and then they need to figure out their life. They need to figure out the next step. And what do you do? You run into the woods so you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. So part of it was that I didn't have a, a background in hiking or backpacking, um, but definitely considered myself an athlete. I played tennis and basketball, primarily college tennis, but had this like underlying love of endurance. I loved being exhausted at the end of the day and had in college, um, besides playing uh, division one tennis began just running half marathons. And then I was like, wow. And I felt so great. So let's try a marathon and then let's try triathlons. And so my last semester in college, I actually completed an Ironman triathlon. And the question up to that point had been like, what's farther? And so when you get to that point, you're like, what's farther? <laughs> and for me, it was 
the Appalachian Trail. So there are some things that built up to it. And then there was a part of it that did feel random. Yeah, that still feels like a pretty big jump. Like yeah. far, farther <laughs> might be a 200 mile bike ride or yeah. well, I was mile. done with the bike after the, after the Iron Man. So I was like, that it's not going to be on the bike. <laughs> I understand that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I think wondering, you know, just thinking of myself at 21 or even now, like, did you have any fears around going out into the wilderness on your own? Like both from a safety point of view, but also from the point of view of being alone with your own mind for that long? Yes, I definitely had fears. I had fears that I was going to be um, murdered, raped, robbed the first night I camped by myself. I had fears that I was going to be bored and lonely. And um, I think most of those fears were really <laughs> unfounded and societally, culturally derived, but um, they were there, like they popped up. Um, I definitely had some you know, naive courage. And uh, the fact that I was 21, that sort of played in my favor to go out there, you know, without letting those fears stop me. Um, But yeah, the more I got used to it, the more I realized, okay, this is, this is not, this is not a place where I'm at any more risk than I am on a college campus or driving down an interstate. And I started to feel actually safer on the trail than I do in a lot of circumstances off the trail. And the other shift was I realized that being bored and lonely was awesome. Like it was actually silence and solitude and it was really peaceful. And I was like, wow, I wonder what other fears are keeping me from experiencing like the gifts or blessings that come as a result of going through them. Mm, that's so interesting. So you like, were you completely disconnected for those five months? Like you didn't, did you talk to any of your friends and family? So my first hike was 2005, which was an interesting time to hike the Appalachian Trail because it was still sort of like this big wilderness ethics question of whether or not you carry a cell phone. And by cell phone, I mean like a brick Nokia that doesn't work. Um, (laughs) But when I left home, I was like, I'm not taking one. And my mother was pretty much like over my dead body. Like you will carry this phone if you are going to hike the trail. Um, So I did have that. I did not use it. Um, consistency consistently or regularly, the most common way I would check in with my parents, um, who were my sort of source of accountability while I was out there is I would get to a town and usually use a payphone. <laughs> so this mm-hmm. dates it a little bit, but I'd say, Hey, I'm in this town. I have 90 miles to go to my next resupply point. So I'll call you in four to five wow. days probably. And that was how I stayed in touch while I was out there. Wow. Fantastic. And that like, did, did that, did it change you as a person? Like did the person that went in the 21 year old that went in, did the Jennifer that came out look different mentally? Uh, She was totally different. I think it's interesting. It it was a metamorphosis or like an, you know, unpeeling because it was still me at the end, but it was a much truer version of myself. Um, And, you know, there, there were dramatic changes. I think the trail taught me how to appreciate simplicity. Um, It learned it. Well, it it learned me. It taught me I could be content with very little, which feels super empowering. Like it sounds Spartan, but it's really liberating when you know, you don't need much to be happy. It taught me a lot about quality relationships with people who are very, very different from me. It taught me the importance of actually carving out time to myself and having 
like silence or at least natural sounds instead of synthetic noise and interruptions all the time. And then again, yeah, the biggest thing is just seeing myself as a part of nature, sort of redefined how I wanted to live my life, redefined beauty, redefined success, community, all those things. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So fast forward to 2011, you come back to the same trail. Am I right? And set an overall supported record on that trail. So what, like what happened in the interim there between, you know, being a 21 year old, who's just like, I'm going to spend five months hanging out and doing this. And, and did you go into that supported attempt? Like, did you think, okay, I want to set an overall record. I want to beat all the previous records. Uh, yes, it was a very defined goal and I had worked towards it knowingly and unknowingly in different ways over the previous seven years. Um, a lot happened in that gap, including starting my own business and getting married and hiking other trails. Um, but the Appalachian trail still had my heart. It was, you know, my favorite long distance trail. It was the one that had changed my life the most. It was the one that had challenged me the most. And, um, I think it just got to the point in my life where I, I did have almost a 30 year career of athletics and long distance hiking and now a love for the outdoors and looking ahead, there were other adventures on the horizons, including hopefully parenthood and, um, digging in deeper with some of my, you know, businesses or my writing or speaking. And it just, it got to the point where it's like, well, this is the climax, (laughs) you know, this Mm -hmm. is where I see, what I can do and what I'm made of and what I'm capable of. And if I don't, I'll always wonder like, so, you know, it's a non-traditional sports um, avenue to take, but I loved using my body. I loved being outside. I wanted to know what I could do when I really like harness that sense of feeling wild and beautiful and free. Like what did that look like Um, in motion? And so I set the intention of trying to break the overall record and thought I could do it. And most people thought I did not have a chance, but luckily my husband was willing to support me and help me. And we went out and finished the trail in 46 days, which is an average of 47 miles a day. Wow. And so people thought people actually thought you couldn't do it. Did you hear that feedback from people? Like, did you get some funny comments? Yeah. When we said we were going to try for the overall record that I was going to go after this mark that uh, males and ultra runners had set in the past, Mm -hmm. there was definitely negative feedback um, in person and online. And it's strange for me now because other women have tried for this mark or overall records. And I think the response now is a lot more positive. But when I was trying for it, there had not been a woman who had set the overall record. And um, not only was I hearing a mostly from like the ultra running community that I was like egocentric or um, oh, out. Yeah, misplaced to think that I could compete with the record holders of the past, but also then, you know, a lot of hikers were saying that it was just doing the trail the wrong way or turning it into a racetrack or whoring it out. Like those are all direct quotes. Um, so there are a lot of negative voices and that made training all the more important because, you know, one of the gifts of going out into the woods is all those external voices kind of disappear. And you realize you have, you have your own voice. And my voice always said like, I belong. 
I belong out here. I belong in nature. I belong on the trail. I belong with these guys who have set the record in the past because my body's doing the same thing. It's doing the same mileage. I belong. And is that how, would you say that's how you dealt with those negative voices? Like, how do you tune out caring what everybody else thinks? Yeah, I definitely run into the woods, um, turn off technology. Those are two good tools for it. I also, I started uh, writing first person memoir when I was in my early 20s. And um, I think I learned through that before really social media became a thing and before trying for this record that when you put yourself out there, people are going to judge you, but it's not really you. It's a character and they're having a response and that response can be positive or negative, but it's not really a reflection of who you are. So I take it really personally and really hard when uh, my close friends or my family, you know, bring up a critique or a criticism that stings and I have to find ways to work through that, hopefully in positive manners or methods. But yeah, I, I learned. Also, I had a critical mom, which helped me. Side note, I mean, we could talk about mom issues all the time, but my mom is a tough mom and she's a great mom, but she did not have a lot of um, effusive praise for me <laughs> when I was growing up. And so, yeah, I think I just built up some uh, um, resiliency towards criticism at earlier ages than a lot of people. And I worry about my kids who I'm always telling that they're like the best, most wonderful things ever. And I'm like, I don't know that they'll be as resilient when someone says something mean on social media. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I think that might be a generation thing too. Like I had a similar thing with my own mom. And at one point I asked her, like, why didn't you compliment us? Yeah. You know, like, why did you never you you had two successful girls like growing up like why didn't she said she felt like it was going to make us arrogant huh. you know and was that was her concern like it was an intentional parenting thing it might be a um a generational thing but I, it's different when it's you're close like right away when I asked you that question you went to like how hard it is when people are close who are close to you make those kind of comments but like if you can handle that then certainly you can handle like any random person on the internet who wants to say something, you know? Yeah, I think so. And I think maybe it was a generational thing with our parents. Um, yeah, but, you know, it, I'm not going to say it doesn't bother you at any point, but I, I do think I have some pretty good tools that I've used for a long time to try to combat that. Yeah, yeah. And then, okay, I used, you mentioned your writing and I was thinking this too about some of your long adventures. How do you... You know, how did you give yourself permission to go and do those things? You know, because I know like I feel and I'm sure some of our listeners feel like I would feel a pressure to make money or a pressure to, you know, be closer to my family at certain points or to do certain things, you know, um, and giving yourself permission to make that time either to write or to go out and spend time on the trail. How do you mentally how do you get there? Yeah, I still struggle with that, honestly. I mean, my husband and I were talking this morning about how uh, it's it's hard to create space for yourself or for adventures or opportunities when you're carrying so many responsibilities. But I didn't have many responsibilities when I was 21. Mm. And I also felt like I earned it. And that was the thing with all my hikes is I paid for it, um, you know, 
after so much time, I had a little bit of sponsorship, but I had still like worked really hard to get that sponsorship. And I just set up my life so I could live simply and I could save up money and I could afford to go hiking. And uh, even with my first hike, I had plan my college classes so I could graduate a semester early. Mm. And then I would finish the trail around the same time that my friends were like graduating and getting jobs. So I wasn't going to fall behind. Like I had carved out this time where I felt like I had worked hard to create the opportunity to go into the woods and have that experience. So I still have that mindset, which I don't know if it's healthy or not that I need to earn my adventures. Um, and it's harder now it's just harder with kids and work and everything else, which makes me really glad I did a lot when I could. And, uh, also makes me ask the same question that you just posed is like, how do you, <laughs> how, how do you set those responsibilities aside and make time for that without feeling, without feeling guilt or without feeling like you have to earn it in order to go and do things that you love? Yeah, I definitely think it's a good thing that you carved out that time. And, and I think we could all learn from that too. Um, with the writing piece, like you're the author of how many books? There's trail guides, there's your memoir. How many books in total? Too many. I think I have nine <laughs> books at this nine. point. Right. And so then when you started writing, like you said a minute ago, you started just writing your memoir. How did you make time for that? That's more like on a day-to-day basis rather than like, you know, you don't have to set aside five months at a time, although some people do, and maybe you have, but, um, how did you, you know, how did you begin that process? Right. Well, I mean, f- from a lot of my story, you can pick up that at times I'm pretty driven and with, with my first book, and I really didn't think anyone was going to read it, which I think is why it's been mm-hmm. our most popular and best selling. Cause it's just so honest. Like it was me looking at my trail journals and trying to tie them together in a cohesive manner. Um, but I would work all day and I would come home and eat dinner and then write like, that's Mm. what I did when I was 22, which seems odd. So I, you know, was not the life of the party for sure, but cranked out a manuscript, um, at a very young age. And, you know, I was able to do that. I was able to put in a full day of work and write at night up until a few years ago, And, uh, you know, with COVID, I don't know what it took out of me, but, um, I just feel really tired at the end of the day and haven't had that motivation and have sort of been hard on myself a little bit that, you know, I would love to write. And I just, I don't, I just don't have the energy or motivation right now. Um, but also trying to give myself some grace for that and say like, it's been a really hard, difficult few years. And, you know, if you don't have it right now, you don't have it. And that's, that's okay. And if you really want to write, shift things around and make time for it during the day. So trying to play out that piece in my mind, but I, because I love writing in the past, it has not been a struggle to fit it into free time, even if that's between 10 o'clock and midnight. Right. So loving it sounds like it's the key to that. Yeah. And I hear you about, I actually just put a post on my Instagram yesterday about this because I'm hearing the same thing from a lot of people. Like right now, like sometimes we're physically feeling crappier than we're used to. We don't know what it is. Like, is it for me, it's like, is it perimenopause or some hormone thing? Is it long COVID? Like do like at any given time we could have COVID if, if we're vaccinated, we might not have symptoms. You know, it's kind of like this, this mishmash of things going on as the world's opening up and people are generally feeling like crap. 
Um, but it sounds like you're handling that or you, I like what you said, like giving yourself some grace, right? So what does your schedule look like right now? Oh, our schedule, it, it changes a lot, which is great. I love the variety, but there's a tax due to that too. It's like very unpredictable. It takes a lot of communication um, between my husband and I, we work together. And then I have a hiking company, Blue Ridge Hiking Company in Asheville, North Carolina, and we have a great admin team, but it takes a lot of communication when your schedule is very inconsistent. Um, So today I was working on um, this morning, trying to put together a new hiking route um, in Western North Carolina that I'm part of. And uh, we had an admin team call and I'm responding to emails and I need to write some blogs later. And then my kids will be back and I'll be helping with them. And that can be a really normal day. Or I, you know, can be out on trail with a group or flying somewhere to give a talk. And, you know, occasionally we are fitting in adventures. We have a big one actually coming up. So it's a big mix match. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I love that it, I love that it keeps changing. Um, (laughs) it just, it has some challenges that, that come along with it. So that's a rambling answer. I'll just say like, there is no, there is no average day in our life, but that's part of the adventure. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. For decades, running shoes have been researched, 
tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. This um, Blue Ridge Hiking Company, you've you've had it for many years, right? Yeah, I started it when I was 24. So we actually just celebrated our 14th birthday this week. Right. And what all do you do? 
the company? So our heart and soul and how we start is we're a guiding uh, outfit and we take people on trail for anything from a half day up to a week long backpacking trip. So day hikes and backpacking trips. And uh, we have a great team of guides and yeah, they're skilled in all different um, topics. Some are naturalists, some are long distance backpackers, some are elite athletes, some know all the history of the region. They're awesome. But we also have a tiny retail shop uh, in Asheville. And then we have a bunkhouse on the Appalachian trail where our trips will, they'll use it as a base camp, but also hikers on the trail will stay there as well. And so that's really active and fun. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces to the hiking company and then it's impacted by a lot of things out of our control, not just COVID (laughs) that's a big one, but weather, uh, wildfire, like trail closures, it's, it's a lot of moving parts. Right. Have you ever had a normal job? Have I had a horrible job? No, a normal job. A normal job. Like a regular. Yes. I, um, my first job after the AT, I worked at a museum and I loved it. It was great. It was actually like a historic site. Uh And I worked there two years and thought if I'm going to stay in this field, should probably go back to grad school and specialize. But my heart was on the trail and my time and energy was trying to help other people get outside. So I was like, let me try this first. Um, so at 24, I was like, I'm going to try to help people get outside through writing, speaking and guiding and convinced in like two or three years when it didn't work, I just go to grad school. Um, but it's been 14 years and yeah, some days I still daydream about someone paying my health insurance. Like, some days <laughs> yeah. like or I would love to not have to always figure out the next thing and sort of know what my income would be at any given year. Um, Sometimes that feels really nice, but then we would lose all this flexibility and fun and adventure that is our everyday life. Um, so, yeah. Did you, you know, I'm relating to a lot of what you're saying. Like I was a kid who had like, I had a hat company when I was in university and like yeah. can count the real jobs I've had on like one hand, you know, including like coffee shops and random stuff in university. And um, I'm just like, and that's really young kind of to commit to that, like all of the solo adventures, the entrepreneurship. Did you see signs of it in your childhood? Like, did you, were you like a kid with a lemonade stand or? Uh, I don't know that I was a kid with a lemonade stand, but I was always someone who was willing to do things that were different, I Mm -hmm. think. And, um, movement was always really important to me. Like even in high school and I went to boarding school for a few years, but I would wake up at six o'clock and run three miles and didn't think of myself as a runner, but knew that was just important for me to clear my head and like get through the day. So I think the outdoors and movement, there's a string of consistency through my life and a willingness to try new or different things. Um, but when I started as an entrepreneur, it wasn't to be an entrepreneur. I just was like, <laughs> I wanted a lifestyle job that it would allow me to do what I loved and didn't necessarily think about all that was involved in small business. And because of that, I've made a lot of mistakes um, and had to learn a lot along the way. Um, but yeah, it's been a phenomenal education. Like it's, I wouldn't change it. It's been a terrific experience. And I feel like if I ever wanted to do something different or more traditional, I could, but I've gained so much from throwing mud at walls for 14 years and seeing what would stick that. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's been a great ride. 
Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like the best type of entrepreneurship in a way is like what I'm hearing you say is like this love of the outdoors and your connectedness to the outdoors is just like overflowing into wanting to share it with other people, with, which I would guess is probably why you've been successful at it so far. I think that, I think it's like a true passion. And then again, like I have drive and grit. I was, t- I was talking to a um, someone who works for the national forest the other day, cause we have to get all these like permits and liability insurance. And we have to like have all these risk management plans. And so anyways, it was time for an approval of all that. And he was saying that other people come to him wanting to do what we have like a similar service or business. And he says, he like points them to us, shows them that we do. It's a model. And then tells them everything that's involved. And he said, they almost never come back. Like they almost never go through with it. Cause it is, it's, it's uh, a grind. And I think that's sort of the misconception. And, and some people, I think genuinely feel like if you love a job, you never work a day in your life, but I love my job. And there are a lot of days I work and I right. don't, get, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. but like, I think believing in the result helps you get through those low points and having it as your passion helps give you that motivation. But there are days where I don't want to do it. Yeah. You've talked a lot. You've said drive and grit a lot. And like, I just, I'm, I'm relating to what you're saying so much because I've always been someone who's like, I'm sees the end point and then is willing to go, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. Right. And, and sometimes I feel this, I want to push back on this notion that I hear now with young people a little more, which is like, oh, like figuring out who I am and then figuring out like how my perfect day will be or whatever, like trying to make the world conform. It's like, no, like actually here's the ways that I would like to change the world. And I'm just going to like go headlong down that road. So like for you, the kind of day-to-day basis, how does that play out? So when you're in that, that dark moment or those darker moments where you're like, this is where I'm going, but it's kind of shitty right now. And I'm having to, like, it does feel like work. How do you, like, how do you get through those things? Yeah. It, I really actually like relate to your observation. Um, especially with our work and even our industry. And one of the reasons I love our guiding company is we have guides ranging from their twenties to their Mm sixties. And, um, our older guides are a lot of times just emotionally tougher, you know, um, on the other hand, like our younger guides are really good about teaching me and teaching our teams things are that are like, um, you know, newer. And I mean, I think they teach us how to be politically correct, to be quite frank. I think they teach us a lot about mental health. Like they have this like terminology, they have these words that we Mm. didn't, we weren't given growing up. So they can like communicate some of their needs and some of their boundaries better, which I like totally appreciate. And I'm like, yes, I need this because I didn't get this in my education or in my upbringing. Um, but what we do see sometimes, um, is that like, there's a tendency to stop. Like, um, they haven't, there's like better words, better communication, but the resiliency piece isn't there. So I think the question you're asking, right. is like, this is what I ask. How do we bring all those good things to the table? That's like, I want to be able to communicate. I want to be able to set boundaries. I want to be able to talk about my mental health and how do I also identify the tools that are available so that I can, meet commitments and keep going. Mm. I think that's sort of 
the bread. That's great. Yeah. That's a great reframing. Yeah. Right. So what is the bread <laughs> for you? Well, I do again, like in this multi-generational, um, workspace, I think there is this ability to learn, learn from each other. And we already talked about this, like we had tough moms and I think they were expected to be tough. And I think they work through things. And my mom, (laughs) uh, yeah, she's not good at communicating her emotional needs or her mental health. And she passed that on to me. And I think I'm a little bit better than she is, but but she's tough. She's tough. And she works through things. And I get that. And I see that in some of our older guides, like they just have a capacity to get through hard times. And part of that, they have more life experience too, but seeing that modeling that, um, embodying that, and then also saying like, Hey, it's a really great thing to set boundaries. It's a really great thing to talk about mental health. And it's really well received when you know those people have the intention to work through it in a positive way and uphold commitments and it makes it easier to support it. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, just trying to take the best from everyone and and maybe leave some of the negatives. And we talk about this with parenting too, right? Your parents do something and you're like, I'll never do that. And you go so far around that you do the same thing. So just trying to say like, this was really great. Like no one's perfect. Um, bosses aren't perfect. Employees aren't perfect. Parents aren't perfect, but like seeing the good and taking the good from everyone, I think is helpful in getting where you want to go. Yeah. I love that. I was, yeah. Thinking about parenting too, is like I, from observation, like you, unless you're super mindful and actually make a shift, like you either end up reacting to how your parents were and doing the opposite or repeating the cycle, right? And actually like trying to find some middle ground there. I think that's where the sweet spot is. Um, but it's difficult because you have to be aware of everything that, or of the things that affected you and how that would affect your own kids. You know, I totally agree. Yeah. I think you're spot on. And then as you're talking, I was thinking too about how uh, the, one of the things for me that like my own grit has got me to is like, if I didn't set a proper boundary, (laughs) for example, and then I had to get through something, like sometimes there's a lot of joy on the other side of that, you know, or even a simple thing. Like when I was, when I was working my PhD and training as an Ironman athlete, I would have to get up at a certain time every morning. Right. And like those, like, I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I wasn't getting enough sleep. Like I was just a complete wreck, but actually like watching the sunrise on, on a hill, on a hillside was, were sometimes the best parts of my day on days that like, if I was someone who was likely to go to say no to that, or to be like, no, I need more sleep, whatever, that I wouldn't have got, got that, you know? So like, how are there, is, is that the same for you? Basically, I guess I'm wondering like with your, how did you learn the, where there's like the good outcomes of that kind of grit. Um, so that was totally my belief. I think for most of my life is that getting to the end makes the journey worthwhile. Even if it's, even if it's miserable, like if you get to the end, there's a reward there. And I definitely think that is true and it's been true. Um, but I do think it's shifting and part of it, part of what I struggle with is I, I don't have the same drive and motivation that I used to. And that's not just for like, um, physical challenges. Um, and, and part of it, I think is cause there's too much on my plate right now. So 
when you feel like you can't do anything well, it makes you less motivated, you know? Um, and so recognizing that and, and, um, in order then to refine or rediscover a driver motivation, I'm going to have to stop doing so much. Mm -hmm. And when I was trying for my record, um, we had a friend helping us and I was at a really low point and he has hiked the whole Appalachian trail 18 times. I mean, he's like an Uber <laughs> endurance hiker. And I looked at him just feeling horrible. And I said, how do you know when it's time to quit? And he said, there's a, there's a difference between stopping and quitting. And he didn't explain it. And then I had like 2000 miles to think about it. So I was like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> and what I, you know, what I came to is that, um, there is a difference between stopping and quitting and quitting is when, uh, you wish you had kept going, you know, there's regret. Um, but stopping is when you make a decision to step away and you know, it's the right decision and it feels right in your heart. And, um, so I think right now in my life, um, I am at the place where there a lot has piled up and a lot of it's good things. So it's hard to make decisions. But I think if I can be smart and decide what I need to stop doing, then I'll be able to like regain some of that excitement and drive and motivation to do one thing or a few things really well. Mm. It sounds like, it, yeah, it sounds like you're kind of at one of those moments right now. Yeah. That's what I'm it's a, yes. I wish it was a quick decision. <laughs> you know, totally. when, I don't know when you're 38 and there's, you know, institutions and edifices and uh, yeah, relationships and families, all the things it's like, well, transitions take longer than they used to, Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, recognizing them is yes. And, and recognizing like what is taking your emotional energy, I think is, is, important. Yeah. And I'm even thinking of there's, there's micro levels of that and then macro levels. So I think what you're talking about is a little bit of like a hard stop or a stop on something that might last like weeks or months or years versus like, there's like, there's also a day-to-day -day stopping. I, I find, you know, sometimes I'm, if I'm feeling worn out with my business, like actually the best decision is just to stop for two hours. Right. Like, are there times when you kind of have to make those decisions too. Like I just need a break. Like, yeah, there used to be. And I think that is really hard. Um, and your business is similar where it's, it's not always a nine to five. So there's a lot of times work is in the evening or weekends, or all of a sudden it's a three day, 24 seven workshop. And, and then you try to operate in the world that says like, well, these are work hours and these are break hours and they don't line up. And I think breaks tend to suffer. Um, so on a day-to-day -day basis, I used to be better about pausing. I think the societal routine doesn't make it harder. Like it's harder for me to pause on work stuff. Cause it's like, well, I have to pick up my kids at this time or, you know, like there's more boundaries in there. There's less flexibility to take those pauses. So I feel more like I have to power through things than I used to where, um, I used to have more flexibility to like, listen to myself in that way and be like, right now, what I really need is, is a hike. But I think as athletes and professionals, you do hit that point. I'm sure like, cause like you, most mornings, if I'm training or working towards something, I head out the door and at first it's tough, but I know it's going to be great. And when I come back, I'm going to feel good and showered and so glad that I made that time. But every now and then, like there's the morning that you head out the door and you're like, nope. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like not today, like it's just not in the cards today. And you just hit that point of like overtraining syndrome or something, you know, or you're about to get sick, but your body is just like, not today. And I think in a work sense, um, you know, I'm not as flexible as I used to be, but there are moments where it's like, nope, this is, you know, this is a mental health day. This is a pause. This is a break. Mm-hmm. I need to, uh, I need to lean into what I need right now, or I'm not going to be able to keep going, or this is not going to be sustainable. So, you know, taking those times when your mind body forces you or asks you to pause, I think is, is really, really important for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that this came out of this conversation because I feel like I've had a lot of conversations similar to this, like people sort of struggling with their routine or taking a break or, and I'm just thinking like it might be partially COVID that created like our previous lives had routines that were set for us almost a little bit more. So like there's the drive in the car to work and there were maybe these built-in little breaks that we didn't realize until we're just like at home getting shit done all day, <laughs> all day long. And then, you know, then we have to make those decisions for ourselves. Yeah. I, and, you know, it is funny because we're getting on here and we're talking, I think about a lot of things that are COVID related, you know, to keep up work during that time and parenting and other responsibilities, you're working harder. Like we were all asked to work harder to be like subnormal and subsufficient. Um, but then as it lifted, I think some of the, some of the hard work we did started to really, really pay off. And what's happened is we don't have like the energy to come back and meet it. Cause we work so hard for like right. subpar yeah. results, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so we're fatigued and then results are, you know, and opportunities are going back up when we have less energy because of all the hard work we put in for the last two years. So it is a really weird dynamic. And that is something where I think a lot of people right now are making decisions about, their life, their trajectory, their work, their families. And, um, I think it's a good place to do that. And also ask, just, you know, ask yourself, this is what I'm doing personally. Is this really what I want? Or is this like circumstantial in the moment because of the past two years? And if I let more time pass, you know, it'll settle down and I won't necessarily make the same decision. So I think giving yourself time now, there's still so much instability in our world and giving yourself time to make a good decision, not based off circumstances, immediate circumstances is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I never regret giving myself time, like both as an athlete, when you were like, when I was cracked and like over the edge or as in my day-to-day life, it's like, I always come back stronger and always feel like I'm way more productive than I would have been if I just kept working for that, for yeah. that time period that I took off, you know? Um, okay. So let's, let's leave our, our listeners with a little advice. So as someone who loves the outdoors so much, I know even myself, like, I think I'd be hesitant to go out on a multi-day, uh, backpacking trip on my own, but I would definitely benefit from it. So what advice would you give to those people? Um, well, why would you be hesitant? I liked what you said about safety. I think I'd be, I think I'd be hesitant about, like planning it, I'd be hesitant about wild animals. <laughs> I'd be hesitant about like what I'm going to eat and how I'm going to take the time away. Like really, um, yeah, plan it so that the business is still running while I'm gone. My daughter's okay. That kind of stuff. Um, I think that's so interesting because like you'll hop in a road bike or do an open water swim, right? Without like 
batting an eye. Yeah, it's true. It's probably, yeah. I'm probably more likely to be hit by a car on a road bike at any given moment than anything yeah. that would happen in the outdoors. Well, I mean, it just goes to show like so many of our fears are based off like what we're not exposed to, what we're not used to doing. Right. And, um, yeah, I personally like the idea of road biking, certain places, certain roads, like that is, that is terrifying to me or like Mm -hmm. open water swimming in bad conditions, you know, that that's scary, but you've done a lot more than it of it than me. So you have this, like, you know, you have this confidence and skill set and um, relationship with it. And I think that's what I would say about people going outdoors is everyone's like nervous and scared on a first date. Like you don't know who he is or they are or what their background is, like, especially with online dating. And I think it's a little like that, like going outdoors. If you don't have a relationship already, it feels exciting. It feels scary. It's, it's nerve wracking. Um, but it's a relationship worth pursuing. And the more time you spend outdoors, I do like wholeheartedly. I'm not saying that there's not risk and, you know, going solo hike, hiking, backpacking, doing things outdoors, especially on your own. But there's also risk when we walk out our front door. And I think the risk of spending time in nature have been like blown way out of proportion. Um, through media and just culture and other things like that's where people existed for millennia. (laughs) It's like our most natural place and state to be. And so going out and being willing to like pursue that relationship, being willing to like be more comfortable with it. And you don't have to like, you know, just like a, on a date, you don't have to sleep with the person on the first date. You don't have to sleep outside, like go day hiking, like build up your tolerance, like, you know, like go slow yeah. if you want to go slow with that relationship. But mm-hmm. the more you just go outdoors and feel like comfortable and feel accepted and the more you can start identifying, you know, plants and animals and making like more instinctual decisions, it just, it starts to feel like home. It really does. And I think there's something kind of interwoven still in us as humans who, for most of history, had a very, very close relationship with the outdoors. There's something still in us that asks for it and connects to it. And so just trying to honor that and seek that out in your own personal way, um, that that is my, you know, that's my only strategy or, or thought about getting outside. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I think you're absolutely right about all of those things. Um, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Sarah. I appreciate it too. And um, yeah, you helped me work through some work, work <laughs> my parenting issues. We've got it figured out. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe a little, there was really good there was really good insight and the fact that you've talked to so many people and gotten like, you're taking all the good and combining it too. So I think that's super valuable and I appreciate being a part of it.